<laughs> Welcome to Empower Talks, the podcast where empowerment takes center stage. No fancy edits, no scripted conversations, just real and authentic discussions. I'm your host, Christina. Join me, an amazing guest, who are generously sharing their insight to inspire and uplift. Empower Talks is more than a podcast. So join us, because it's your catalyst for unleashing your inner awesome. What up, y'all? It's another episode of Empower Talks. I say it every time. I still can't believe we made it to another episode. Woo! I'm excited. Thank you, God. It's another episode in the books. Woohoo! I am excited. And today, everyone, I am really excited. I like I say, I think every episode is a special episode because of all the wonderful, awesome people that we get that come to the show and share and empower others. Well, this episode is a little bit more extra special. So, especially because I know that you guys have enjoyed the episode when we had Rosie on, you enjoyed the episode when we had my husband on, well, and my son on. So, this episode is going to be even more packed because this incredible episode, we have the amazing, the wonderful, the intelligent, the wise. Reverend Wilson Hughes, who is also, y'all ready for it? My father in love. That's my homemade drums, Dad. Those are my home Dre drums. I mean, Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the homemade drums. Can I can I get another drum roll, please? <laughs> of course. You ready? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, I will full disclaimer, y'all. I'm gonna try. I've never called, I've never called him Reverend Wilson Hughes because he is also my dad. So I can't if I I'm gonna try not to blend the two. I'm gonna try to stick to Reverend. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do this, Dad. So forgive me in advance, please. Well, I don't need to forgive you in advance. <laughs> Whatever you want to call me, you can call me. <laughs> but I am excited and thank you so much for coming on to Empower Talks. And I am so excited. And this episode, y'all, get ready for this one because I, it was funny. I literally, literally, after having a conversation, we were outside talking and it just hit me that I don't think a lot of people really talk about death. And sometimes it's considered a hard topic or a hard conversation, but we were talking to Dap, we were talking to Reverend about it. See, I caught myself. <laughs> and just the wisdom that came and just flows through him, I wanted us to talk about it. So today's episode, y'all, we're going to be talking about death. And I know, don't worry, before you start to get like what in the world is going on, there is empowerment in being able to talk about it, to be able to bring the topic that is, you know, a hard conversation to light so that those can really hear from it. I'm excited. And so, Dad, we will jump right into it. You ready? I am ready. <laughs> and like normal, everyone, this is unscripted. That he, Reverend, did not get any, you know, script questions, none of it. It is truly raw and authentic. And so, but I'm excited. I'm excited to have him. So to jump right in. Da, uh, Reverend, see, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. There we go. <laughs> that's it's that's perfectly fine. <laughs> How does 
especially since I know you are a reverend and especially I know that we are Christians, how does just the Christian faith shape a person's understanding of the purpose and meaning of death from your perspective? Well, I, I, I never want to give my perspective. I want to give a biblical perspective uh, when we're talking about the issue of death. Um, why uh, do we die, I guess, is one of the big questions. And the reason for death would be because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, of course, they were placed in a perfect environment in the midst of the garden. Um, they, in their original um, um, nature, were incapable of death. They were eternal beings. Um, and uh, the promise was made to them that if they obeyed all of God's commands, um, specifically uh, not to eat of a particular tree in the midst of a garden, they would live forever. Um, but we know um, from human history, we know from the Bible that that uh, did not happen. Uh, Adam and Eve both, both ate of the fruit and it caused death to enter into the world. And so uh, death is a result of our sin against a holy God. Death is a couple of things. Death is both spiritual and physical. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God said to them that they would surely die. We see the spiritual death take place um, first, which is there, which was a separation from God. They had enjoyed his presence. They had walked or he had walked in the midst of the garden with Adam and Eve. And uh, he was daily in their presence. But because of their disobedience towards God, they were separated immediately when they ate of the fruit that God had forbid them to eat of. And so we see spiritual death happening. And then we see uh, subsequently. Uh, physical death happen. Um, and if we as Christians are going to look at um, death and the nature of death, um, we have to look at it from the perspective of what God has said about death and why death has taken place. And as we just talked about, death is a result of man's disobedience towards God. And man was spiritually separated from God and then physically he is separated from God, which causes the physical death. Um, and uh, we see, as a result of Adam and Eve's uh, disobedience, we see the first, and, and literally, we see the first um, death, uh, which would be their separation from God. And then the second death, we see God actually clothing both Adam and Eve in a animal's skin in order to cover their sins. Um, as you understand the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve did not have any type of clothing on when they were placed in the garden. Uh, in fact, many uh, speculate, and I think from the scriptures we can say this is exactly what took place in the garden. They were covered by God's presence. They were covered by his glory. And they didn't know what nakedness was until after Eating, eating of the fruit that was forbidden to them and being separated from God. And then they noticed their nakedness. 
and we see God. That's exactly right. And we see God coming through the garden and Adam and Eve, and in fact, hiding from God um, and God asking where they were, where they were at. Where, 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 and he wasn't asking their location. He knew exactly where they were. God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He is om, omniscient. He knows all things. He's all powerful and he is sovereign over his creation. So when he asked where they where they were, he was not asking for their location. He was trying to, I think, get them to understand their situation, that they had fallen, that they had left uh, the presence of God. And so when he says, where are you? And they're hiding from him. And then Adam comes forward and says, I hid from you because I'm naked. Well, who, who told you you were naked? Well, then it starts from there. Well, the woman that you gave me gave me the fruit that you had forbid us to eat. And uh, as a result of it, we see the blame game. We see Adam blaming the woman, the woman blaming the serpent, and the serpent has no one to blame because the serpent is Satan. Um, So death started there um, in the presence of a perfect environment. Um, Man was uh, intended to live forever and physical death was set on man as a result of his disobedience towards God. So our perspective should be that of a Christian perspective when we look at death, at the nature of death, the results of death. And um, as a Christian, how should we view death? What should be our experience? Now, we were... We were in the front yard uh, of my home the other day, and we were discussing the whole issue of death. We uh, were notified of a, uh, a family friend um, uh, that had passed away, a young man. I think he was about 46 years old who had uh, passed on. And I was sharing with you and Michael that uh, really, I, I, and, and I think – for the most part, I think the church has probably done a disservice when it comes to the doctrine of death, which we call the doctrine of last things. I don't think we've done a good job of preparing Christians for death, and and we should be prepared for death. Um, because we, we all seem to be very um, hesitant to even talk about death, as you, as you stated earlier uh, in opening this whole session. We're hesitant to talk about it. We're hesitant to think about death. But as Christians, we are to think about death, and we are to have a eternal perspective about death itself. Yeah. Um, and we get this perspective from the Word of God and how we are to deal with death and how God has ultimately dealt with death. Because how God has dealt with death is that um, he... Of course, we told Adam and Eve they would surely die when they ate of the fruit of the tree, and that's exactly what took place. Um, but God has dealt with death um, from the very Genesis of Genesis. When we say Genesis, the word Genesis means beginning, and God has dealt with the issue of death from the very beginning. Um, before he condemns man in Genesis 3, he sets forth a redeemer of man. And we see Genesis 3, uh, 15, what we call the uh, proto-evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel, that the heel of a child would strike the head of the serpent. 
and we see that this heal the child, this 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 man child is Christ himself, and he will strike the head of the serpent who has caused death to enter the world. The heel of the child will 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 strike a fatal blow to the serpent who who has caused death to enter into the world. And so we should have an eternal perspective. We should look at things from God's point of view when we're dealing with death. Uh, just, just, just a couple of things. Uh, you know, um, if you look at Scripture, uh, specifically Psalms twenty-three. Psalms twenty-three says this: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul." He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Who is with me? The Lord is with me and his rod and his staff, they comfort me when I'm walking through the shadow of the death. God is with me. Yahweh is with me, the Lord is with me, and his rod and his staff, they comfort me when I walk through the valley of shadow of death. And he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That that should be enough for our perspective when we're dealing with death. Death, but what what would you say to someone who's not a believer and they are facing, you know, whether it's a sick friend or a tragic death that they've experienced of a loved one or anything like that, but that they don't have a relationship with Jesus? How would you approach that and encourage others? to be able to handle that type of friend that doesn't have the relationship with Christ? Well, as Christians, the only thing that we can frame for unbelievers is to frame it in the truth of the gospel. We must say to an unbeliever, and, 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 and I'll share this passage of scripture, I think that sums this up when we're dealing with unbelievers. Um, this is what, if you will turn to me, uh, with, uh, with in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says this. <clears throat> but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. This is talking about death. And he goes on, he says that you, and this is what he says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God, I mean, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So our response to an unbeliever would have to be <laughs> that it, it, the way to deal with death is to come to 
a reconciliation with God himself. The, the, the Bible says that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, and we are to tell those who are lost to be reconciled with God, to, be, um, to, to have peace with God. And the only way to have peace with God is to have peace with his son, Jesus Christ, who in fact died, we talk about death, who died for our sins, was buried and rose on the third day with all power and authority. And so what we must say to a lost one or, or someone who is an unbeliever about the issue of death is that unless they repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ, they likewise, like the loved one that they have lost, will perish. They will die. Um, and the scriptures um, actually bear this out, as I was sharing with you, First Thessalonians four thirteen. But also, I, you know, we were there and we were talking about um, just death in general. No, no one ever expects death, right? I mean, it's not like uh, we 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 go to sleep and we think, oh, you know, I'm going to die tonight, or. Uh, you know, I, I guess those folks that have cancer who have those long-term illnesses that know that death is uh, is upon them, they, they expect death. But the majority of us don't expect death. We expect that the, the next day we'll get up and, and things will be the, the, the same. But we never go to bed expecting, oh, you know, I'm going to die tonight. But that is the perspective we should have because death is promised to all of us. The Bible makes it very clear. It says it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and that's for every man, whether they're believers or non-believers. We all will face death, and none of us will ever escape death. We all will face it. Hebrews 9.27 says that we have an appointment set by God. And unlike our earthly appointments that we can be late for, you know, we can be late for our dental and doctor's appointments and for an interview. But this particular appointment, we're going to be right on time. We will not be late for it. We will not miss it. We will be right on time. Um, and I think there are scriptures specifically that bear this out. Um, for instance, we can look at Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And it says this. You look at the wisdom scriptures, Ecclesiastes 3, 1. For everything there is a season and a time. For every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, 
a time for war and a time for peace. And so Ecclesiastics makes it very clear there is a time for everything, but God controls the times and the seasons. And we all will face death one way or another if the Lord tarries. And so back to your original question, what do we tell an unbeliever? We tell them to repent and we tell them to turn to Christ because if they are serving Christ, if Christ is their Lord and their Savior, they will not be like those who are unbelievers who have no hope, but they will understand that after this life, this physical life, there is an eternal life that waits for us all. And if they're found wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, they will spend all eternity with God himself. And I think that now now listen, now you know God's word, it'll do something to you. And it is beautiful, especially the, you know, a time with everything. There is a time for everything. The, I guess for me, my biggest concern not so much of the message that is in God's word, but it's how it's in being received. So when there are, I, I at least from my experience and, and you, and I'm sure you've had a many of the experiences, but when walking with someone that is an unbeliever or, you know, encountering someone or having a friendship and walking through it, the last thing that they want to hear is the word repent. Because it comes off in a judgmental type of way when they don't have a relationship or they're not expecting the accountability because they don't have a relationship with Christ. So would it be safe to say so that we can empower those that are going to have these conversations with unbelievers? Because I always get, it's funny, I like I tell the kids, I always get scared. I don't want them to be so religious that they forget the relational side of Christ, which that's not what the scripture does, but the power in not the repent side, but telling someone like we all repent, like we all need to repent and we all need to come to Jesus instead of it being a focused on you need to repent, you need to do this or you're not going to God. I was going to say a different word, but you know, family friendly podcast. So, well, let me let me say this, daughter. Um, oh, he the, said the daughter. The the, 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 the the we must understand that here we we cannot dumb down God's gospel, and part of the essence of the gospel is repentance. Mm-hmm. It is that whether or not a lost in a dying world wants to hear the word repent is. Uh, is not of importance when it comes to God. God says, you must repent. That's what he says. And so much of Christianity today wants to dumb down a lot of the words because they want to have this friendly approach to a lost and dying world. But that is not what the word of God tells us to do. So here is is the thing that we should be doing. We should not be dumbing down words that are important because listen unless one repents they will not see god that's what the bible says mm-hmm. and we can't come up with 
better words to say in order not to be offensive to a lost and dying world. Listen, the word of God says that man loves darkness rather than light. And he refuses to come to the light. That's what the word of God says. Mm-hmm. He does not discern the light. Look, John 1 starts out, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then down in the, the 14th verse, and it says, the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the only glory from the Father. But it also says that the, 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 the world did not receive him. They did not accept the light. They did not accept the light that had come into the world. Why? Because the world does not want to be confronted with its sin. But unless one is confronted with their sin, they don't even know that they are a sinner. So we must approach it in a biblical way. We cannot, for instance, right now, during the, um, uh, the Super Bowl, Mm-hmm. You have the He Gets Us campaign, the He Gets Us campaign, and what they are, what they are, um, what they are presenting is a Jesus without His cross. He he he's just he's a social Jesus. He's a Jesus that gets you. Well, the problem is, yeah, Jesus does get us, and that's why He came and died for us. He gets that we are sinners and we are in need of a savior. And when you remove Jesus from his cross or the death of the cross or the bloody cross, then you don't have a savior. You have an example. We don't need an example. We need a savior. We're lost in our trespasses and sins. So when we talk about salvation, there are, there's a coin with two equal sides. There is repentance on one side and faith on the other. One has to repent of their sins and one must trust in Christ. So those both go hand in hand. So we don't want to try to soft sell the gospel. In fact, the apostle Paul says the law of God is our schoolmaster pressing or pushing us on to salvation in Jesus Christ. So we preach God's law in all of its fervency, and we tell men, women, boys, and girls that God is not like a teacher in a classroom who, who um, uh, grades on a curve. God's commandment is that he, he only accepts 100% righteousness all the time. And we don't meet that standard. We don't meet that righteous standard. At all. (laughs) And so, at all. So he sends his son, his perfect son. Jesus is not just a man. I I know a lot of times we look at Jesus as that little cute little baby in the manger. But Jesus was with God the Father from all eternity. He is the second person of the triune Godhead. And he was sent down and became a man. He became something that he was not, but he remained God. This is why John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, is the Greek word pros, meaning face to face, and the word was God. Jesus is God, and if we, if we, 
if we fail to preach a gospel absent repentance, it is not a true gospel. It won't save anyone. I agree. I don't, when I say come alongside, I don't mean it in dumbing it down because I will agree with you in the aspect of sometimes in my experience, there can be the example of God is a genie or you create your own God in your own head because your own perspectives, all that stuff goes on. But in referencing when we're telling an unbeliever to repent, I mean it from the perspective of coming alongside, like I have to repent. You know what I mean? I've had to do this. I have to repent on a daily basis and just saying in making it in an inclusion of something instead of a, like a pointing finger at something, because that is in generally how it gets perceived as, especially when you don't have a relationship with the unbeliever. Like if it's just yeah. a random stranger, stranger. So let me, let me say this. Um, Daughter. Um, so first of all, we must understand the process of salvation. Salvation is not something that happens inside of a man just because we present to that man a specific set of words. Mm -hmm. Salvation happens as a result of a sovereign God changing the disposition of a person's fallen our dead heart. This is why the Old Testament makes it very clear that under the new covenant, God would remove the hearts of stones of those people and replace it with a heart of flesh, meaning that they would come to understand the truths of the gospel. So earlier, as I was speaking of the whole issue of the gospel, an unbeliever can't even understand the things of God. This is what the word of God makes very clear. So for us to come along and say, well, you know, I don't want to be offensive to the unbeliever. So I'm going to, in a sense, I'm going to soft sell and I'm, I'm not going to use words like repentance. I'm not going to use words like God's justice. I'm not going to use words like God's wrath. That, 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 that undersells the gospel. And in fact, it becomes no gospel at all. There is no gospel unless God pours his wrath out on his perfect son. So when we're dealing with unbelievers, we most, must first understand that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's number one. Uh, number two, unless God does a supernatural work in their heart, they will not respond to the truths of the gospel, no, no matter how long you share the gospel. This is what the scripture says. It is by faith it is by grace that we are saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it is a work of God. Ephesians 2, 8, God does a supernatural work in an unbeliever. And whether or not I come and I say to them, hey, repent, because this is what God has called us to do. Look, in God's, in God's, uh, in the ministry of Christ, when Christ's ministry is started, he, John, John the Baptist is telling people to repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says this over and over. And, and this was this same example that I was sharing with you about the, the temple of Siloam. The temple of Siloam we see in the, in the, uh, the gospel of Luke, Luke 13. And, and I want to go there real quick. This is important, very important. Let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke 13. 
And I want to look at verses 14 and 15 in our Bibles. Call to repent. Or are you doing the parable of the fig tree? Or healing on the Sabbath? I think I've, I'm on, the, did I, I said Luke, right? Mm-hmm, Luke maybe I meant Luke, maybe I meant Luke 14. Maybe I'm off. Yeah, no, hold on. Um, no, hold on one second. Sometimes it's nice to just take a second and breathe. We got air in our lungs. God is good. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I meant Luke 13, 4, and I, I went a little too far. Uh, Luke 13, 4. Mm-hmm. And I want our audience to hear this and and. and I, I, I'm, I believe we're speaking to Christians out there and how we are to deal with unbelievers. This is uh, Luke 13. Uh, let's start at verse 1. And there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with uh, their sacrifices. And he answered to them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless, now listen to this, this is Christ saying this. Now, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a red letter Christian. I, it's not that I believe that just because Christ said it, that all the rest of the word of God is not inspired by God's, but, but God is All of this is his word, but this is Jesus Christ saying this. Listen to what he says, because they're very concerned of what this tragedy that has happened. There were 18 people that the Tower of Siloam had fallen on, and this was their response. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that the that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell on and killed them, do you think that they were any worse offenders? And he goes on than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. No, I tell you, but unless, he says this twice, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so we have a ministry of calling men, women, boys, and girls to be reconciled with God. And part of that reconciliation is one must repent of their sins. Now, here's the the most difficult thing. When you're dealing with people who believe that they are self-righteous, of course they don't want to repent. Of course they don't want to be told that they're sinners because they're self-righteous. But the Bible says that even at our best, our self-righteousness is as filthy rags. It does nothing 
to bring us into right standing with God. And so right here in this passage, Jesus tells these people twice. Accidents can happen. It's what we say in life, right? People are going down the freeway and there's ice on the road, black ice. And then all of a sudden you have a hundred pile, uh, hundred car pile up and many people lose their lives. We look at that as accidental, but really it's not accidental because God has set the times and seasons that we all will perish and die. But right here in this verse, God says to these people, what is it to you? Because you likewise will perish unless you repent. Christ himself said that. The second person of the triune Godhead says, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. So we have the responsibility to tell unbelievers they must repent. Whether that sounds judgmental or not, that is the essence of what we must say to them. One must repent and trust in Christ. One can't come to Christ and say, well, I'm I'm accepting you as my Savior, but not as my Lord. Christ is the Lord. He is Adonai in the Greek. He is the Lord. He has lordship over us. So we don't accept him as Savior and not receive him as Lord. He is one and the same. This is why he says, you must repent. You must turn your back on that sin that you were involved in, and you must turn to me. This is why the New Testament is filled with admonitions. And the New Testament says, and such were some of you, meaning that such were, such of a, were some of you were uh, prostitutes and drug dealers and uh, homosexuals, but you've been washed and you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. But one must repent and follow Christ. That is the only way to come to him. And we must not as Christians ever dumb down the language because repentance is necessary as well as faith in coming into the kingdom of God. Now, repentance itself is not something we do in and of ourselves, but it's because God has changed our heart. And that's what I said earlier. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that changes a man's heart, that he accepts the things of God. He is receptive to what God has to say about his condition and his position. We are sinners. We are in need of a Savior. And we must repent and trust in Christ and nothing else. We repent and we trust in Christ. But repentance won't take place unless the Holy Spirit changes the heart. But it doesn't change our message. Our message is repent and trust in Christ. Be reconciled with God. That is our message. And it's a great message. And and even with that message, as heavy burden as it may be sometimes for few or for many, what is the beautiful thing? I mean, because I know we've read it in our Bible, but please tell our Empower Talks community the beauty of the scripture that comes, what happens when you die and you've already had repented, you have salvation. What happens? Can you speak to that so that there is the, I'm not the same, yeah, the silver I, lining, I, but the excitement yes. of it. <laughs> for, yeah, for the believer, death is a moment, uh, is, is a slight moment in the experience to, to be in the fullness of God. That's what it is. The Apostle Paul says it this way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Um, 
he says, for us in Philippians, he says, to live is to Christ and to die is gain. That's Philippians 1.21. Paul saw his death as a win. He said, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be best for me if I leave this place and I go on to be with the Lord, but it's better for you that I stay. But for the Christian, the, our death is, it is the entrance to God's eternal glory. That's what it is. It, it is part of the process of salvation. I always say that we have been saved. That is justification. We are being saved. That is sanctification. And we will be saved. That is glorification. And that glorification can only take place when we die in this body. There, there, there are many metaphors throughout the scripture that talks about the death that we experience before physical death, right? We are baptized into Christ in, in a, into a type of death, right? Mm -hmm. it, when we go down into the baptismal waters as Christians, because we're, we're being buried to our old life and we're coming up through those waters of baptism to a new life in Christ. But ultimately, physical death leads us to the place of our eternal abode. To, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And I want to say this. I want to add to that, um, daughter, that, look, think of, the, think of the, the greatest travesty to justice uh, in world history. And this is not a trick question. What would you say the greatest travesty to justice was throughout all of world history? What, 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 what event would that be? I mean, you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to say Jesus. That's exactly right. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I want to point us to something that's very important. If we look at, and I want to, I want you to look at, and this is very important because there's many scriptures we could talk about, and I, we, I know we can't be here all day. Maybe we can touch on this again later, uh, but I want us to look at specifically Acts two twenty three. Mm. Acts two twenty three, and we see here. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And listen to what Peter says. Starting at the 23rd verse, he says this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. What is, what is he describing here? He's saying that the ultimate injustice that we would say that happened at the cross, God was in control of all of it. In fact, God was responsible for it. God orchestrated it. Even though evil men did it, God was the one behind it. It says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Now, we must understand, we 
tend to look at when we look at these words like foreknowledge in the scriptures, we look at it in a today's English vernacular, but that is not foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is not like God looking down the annals of time and seeing who will make a decision for him or God somehow finding out something new. God is all knowing, but God is controlling every bit of this event. It is by his definite plan and by his foreknowledge that God you crucify and kill by the hands of lawless men. God is orchestrating this all. This was the greatest injustice that has ever taken place in human history. But really, it is not an injustice. It is actually God's justice taking place. Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin became a sin offering for us. Jesus, the sinless son of God, the father, the God, man, the theanthropos, the theo meaning God and uh, anthropos meaning man, the, 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 his, 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 his nature of, of the two persons, the, the, the person, uh, the, the one person with two natures, I'm sorry, Jesus, God in the flesh, he lays his life down. Now, I want you to notice this because I want to read on. If you look down a little further at this particular passage, this is just the backdrop of the birth of the New Testament church. Acts 2.23 is the backdrop of Acts 2.36 through 41. Now, what does that say? It, this is what it says. Acts 2.36 through 41. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord now, we talked about that earlier and how important repentance is. Christ is Lord. God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord means he is Adonai. He is over us. He is the, he, in fact, what it means is that we are slaves to God. We are his, we are his slaves. We are under his authority. He is both Lord and Christ. So he is the Adonai. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is our Lord, and he is the Christ who is the Savior. This Jesus whom you crucified is Lord and Savior, Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is important when we talk about repentance, right? What does it mean to be cut to the heart? God is working that work that we talked about earlier about the Old Testament saying that God will replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. They heard this and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now listen to this. This goes right back to what we were saying. And Peter said to them, what does he say there in the verse? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now listen, I'm, we're not done. I want you to, we want to read the rest of this, this particular, uh, these, these verses. It says this, and 
With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Well, how do we save ourselves from this crooked generation? Repent, trust in the Savior, right? That's how we save ourselves from this crooked generation. We are in a crooked generation right now. That's what we tell people. Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is the birth of the Christian church in the book of Acts. Our message is the message of repentance, but it's repentance to who? It is repentance to God himself in the person of Jesus Christ who laid down his life on a rugged cross, bled, and now his blood is over us, it covers us, and he is our righteousness. That's how we're stand, that's how we stand and are approved before God. We stand in his presence. The only way that we're ever going to say that we can enter into heaven is because of the work that Christ has done for us. He is my righteousness, he is my justification. Lord, the reason why I'm here and I am in your presence is not by anything that I've done, but it's because of your son. And I repented one day and I trusted in his finished work. When he said it on the cross to Telestai, the debt is paid in full. It is finished. That's what he meant. It was finished and it was a finished work for me. And I'm standing now in the eternal abode because that's that's right back to Psalms 23, right? And we shall dwell. In fact, that, that the last part of that passage where it says, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the word dwell is literally the same word as house. It's a, it's a, it's a double use of the word. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is good news, daughter, to a lost and dying world. That is the good news to an unbeliever. You can dwell with God forever in his home, in his abode. You can be right back to the experience that Adam and Eve had in the presence of the garden and dwell with God forever. That is good news to an unbeliever. It is. And that, because you know, this is empowering. So we're going to end on good news, especially because we 49 minutes in, Dad, uh, Reverend. So. That is amazing. Really, really good news. That is the word of God. It is powerful. I love that you started it out, that it's not your perspective. You're coming from the Bible. You're coming from God's word. And that is powerful. And like you said, yes, we may not have the time this time, but the next time. And I'm excited, especially because I know when you start your YouTube channel, with, you know, know for yourself. I am excited because then we can listen. We can get all the wisdom all the time. Have it there. I'm excited. So uh, Reverend, Dad, I want to say thank you. Thank you for honoring. Just thank you for being you. I want to make sure that I honor you and thank you for sharing your wisdom, not with just myself, but the entire Empower Talks community and every ear listening. I am honored. I appreciate you. I have the utmost respect for you. And I'm excited. I am excited for everyone that gets to hear this. And I know death is a hard topic, but look, it ends on such a beautiful note. It really does.
It really does. So dad, is there anything else within 30 seconds that you want to say we're at 51 minutes? Woo -woo! <laughs> um, I would say to the audience or to your audience, if there are any unbelievers out there, trust Christ and in his finished work. We see the misery every day in life. We see the results of a sin-cursed world. We see the death. We see the debauchery. We see the degradation of our communities. We see theft. We see filth. We see uh, the um, uh, trying to um, uh, confuse children with the idea that a, a little boy can be a little girl, a little girl can be a little boy. We see all of this. And we see the sadness that people face every day. But if you'll trust Christ, you can spend eternity with him. If you trust Christ, the Christ of the Bible, and his finished work upon the cross, he will say to you also, to tell us die, your debt has been paid in full. You can now enter in to my eternal abode, into my eternal kingdom, and you can spend your life with me throughout all eternity. Um, I will say this and I'm done. <laughs> Heaven and hell are real places. Ooh. And the question is, where will you spend eternity? That's the question. We were made as eternal beings. We don't just go out of existence when we die. We will either spend eternity in hell and hell will be thrown into the ever um lasting lake of fire, or we will spend our lives in eternity with God, our Father, and with Christ, our Savior, and with the Holy Spirit, our Comforter. Those are the two choices we have. And so I say to you that do not know Christ in the pardon of your sins. Trust Christ as your only means by which you are made right with God. Trust him because there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. He has provided the way and it is through his son and it is through the work of the son and through the work of the father and then through the work of the spirit that we are saved and we come to know him. Oh, that's powerful. And, you know, thank you, Dad, for being you, for your courage, for your wisdom, for your experience that you share. It's not easy. It's not easy having a voice and standing firm and, you know, not some, listen, some people be switching, going left, right, all the way, listen, but it's such a blessing and like I tell Michael all the time, especially having been receiving, because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people don't have, they don't have the blessing of having wonderful in-loves. You know, we don't believe in in-laws, but they don't have the they don't have the blessing of having such wonderful in-loves. And I feel very blessed and I feel very honored. So thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing God's work. That's the biggest thing. Thank you for doing God's work. Well, I, I thank you. <laughs> yep. Thank you for having me on your program today. Um, God bless you. And um, I, I, I hope I was of some help uh, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, the issue of death and, and how we are to face it as believers. 
uh, and how we are to face it as unbelievers. Uh, I, I, I'm praying and I'm hoping, and, and I know God will, that uh, he will bring many to the truth and the revelation of Jesus Christ, his son, um, and that people will come to know him because as we started off, none of us are promised tomorrow. Um, life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Um, and uh, the Bible tells us uh, that tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Um, we think that we're going to be here tomorrow, but there's no guarantee that we will be here even in the next few minutes. God is sovereign over life and death, and we must trust him if we want to spend all eternity with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whew, it's powerful. And now if we can just get the doctors to tell everybody, like you were saying yesterday, if we can just get the doctors to tell people when they go for their checkup, oh, well, you know, you're a 42-year young, healthy man dying. <laughs> that's exactly right. You're you're so right. And that you're right about that. That's that's my model now. I, I And I said, you know, we should go to the doctor and they should say to us, hey, for a, a 58-year-old or 59-year-old man, you're pretty healthy for a man who's dying. Because we all come here dying. We all come here dying. And so the question is, are we going to experience a second death? Or will we experience a second life? The Bible says that Jesus himself is eternal life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, here's our drum roll out, dad. And for every listener, if you got through the entire episode with us, listen, shout out to you. Thank you. We appreciate you. We are honored, Reverend Wilson, dad. Again, I am honored. I appreciate you. Until next time, everyone, stay blessed. Huge shout out to you for listening. If you enjoy today's empowering talk, please follow, subscribe, or head over to cphughes.com to make a donation. Now remember, you're unique, so shine your unique light. And do your part. Go empower someone.